We're turning this morning to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read the first eight verses. If you have your Bible, follow with me in the reading. The words will come up on screen for all who are online. And we do welcome all who are online this morning. Colossians chapter 2. Let's hear the word of God. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. This morning, we are continuing our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians. And today I've chosen as my text Colossians 2, verses 4 and 5. It reads as follows, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now I've entitled this message, The Danger of Spiritual Deception. Now remember from Colossians chapter 1 verse 23 right through to Colossians chapter 2 verse 5 the apostle Paul is writing in the first person. Look at the last part of verse 23. For I, Paul, am made a minister. And then come right down to verse 4 and this I say unto you. You see, he's writing in the first person. And in this whole section, the Apostle Paul is giving us, but giving the church at Colossae, a little glimpse into his life and ministry that he has exercised among men. Because these verses, as we have seen, and I'm not going to go over all the material, are biographical. You'll have to listen to the previous sermons. And undoubtedly, they reveal to us what exactly is upon the heart and mind of the man of God. Now notice how he closes this biographical section. Having told us about the ministry that he exercised, this is what he said. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. It's really a message, as he closes this biographical section, about the danger of spiritual deception and the antidote against it. 
Now, isn't it true to say this morning that we live in a world of fraudulent activity and widespread deception? Could we not also say that the level of deception is unprecedented in our day and generation? Could we not add that people by and large have forgotten the eighth commandment that says, Thou shalt not steal. Now you've all heard of identity theft, the stealing of another person's private information and pretending to be them. And that's a reality. And that's going on in many places throughout the world. What about credit card theft? Stealing a credit card from someone's purse or wallet. Or faking a credit card in their name and using it to get cash out of the ATM machine. Or running up a huge bill in someone's name and then the police and the bailiffs come after that person. You've all heard of telephone scammers. Someone phones you up and they tell you, oh, your computer is broken down. It's got a virus. And if you give me some information, I need to correct the virus from this remote computer because only it has access to your computer. And when you give them access, of course, it's to steal your personal information. What about the man that phones you up and tells you your washing machine insurance policy is about to expire and you need to renew it? Just give me the bank details there and and I'll renew it for you over the phone. You see, it's all about the intention of getting access to your bank account and stealing your money. You've heard about the email scam. You get an email. Wonderful news. Somebody has left you £10 million in their will in Africa of all places. And to access the £10 million that's left in your name in Africa, all you have to do is hand over the sum of £100 to pay some lawyer to sign a form to, to release that amount of money. He needs the £100 up front. And if you're daft enough to believe that, you're going to lose £100. Or what about this man that they're all talking about called the Tinder Scammer? Now, for the children, Tinder is a, a dating app. And there's a man called Simon Lviv, and he pretended to be a spy working for MI5 or the CIA, and he's befriended this lady. He has wined and dined her, whisked her away to some exotic place, all five-star dining, told this woman he's a millionaire, but you can't tell anyone. I'm a very wealthy man. A few months into the relationship, he tells her that the uh, bank account is frozen. He, he can't get home. Could you send me some money? Could you take a credit card out in your name and send it to me? And this particular woman, in fact, three particular women, maybe more, have been taken in by this man called Simon Levive. He's an Israeli, and he has conned these women out of tens of thousands of pounds. Let me give you a little tip this morning. Never, ever send money or share financial information to anyone under any circumstance that you don't know. Do not share your personal information, your bank account, or your card information, unless you know that you're giving it out to a good, reputable company. You see, there's loads of schemes to defraud and deceive people. And people, sadly, have been financially ruined 
People have been mentally affected. They, they can't sleep. They're waking up with this. They go to bed with this. They have been physically impacted. You see, there's the reality that we live in a world of fraudulent activity and widespread deception. Now, here's the point this morning. Spiritual deception is also real. And the Apostle Paul knew that. He has heard from Epaphras that false teachers have been active in Colossae. Paul knows that they have been an effective tool of the devil to lure millions away from the great truth of the personal work of Christ. He knew that these false teachers prey on the vulnerable, the untaught, the unsuspecting. He knows that these false teachers use the Bible. They talk of Jesus. But these very same individuals, somehow they get round to denying the doctrine of the Trinity. Or deny the eternal sonship of Christ. Deny his essential deity. They deny his substitutionary vicarious sacrificial death and blood atonement. They deny that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now you think of Colossae. Paul's a thousand miles away. Epaphras is with him. False teachers has infiltrated the church. And they were saying to the Christians there, now listen to this. In order to be a fully-fledged Christian, you're a Christian, that's good. But in order to be a fully-fledged Christian, you need to consider that angels are intermediaries between you and God. You need to add to that a little bit of Greek philosophy. Also, you need special knowledge only that we can give you to join our group. You also need Jewish circumcision. Now, what are these false teachers doing? They're mixing these things with Christ. It's Christ plus. And the very idea was anathema to Paul. Remember what he has done in this letter as he opened it up. After telling him about this is the prayer that we've had for you together. Epaphras, Timothy and I and others. Then he introduced them to the personal work of Christ. Colossians chapter uh, 3, chapter 1 verse 13. He's presenting who the Lord Jesus Christ is, the, the, the redeemer of God's elect, the creator of all things, the eternal son of God, the head of the church. He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He closes it in verse 3, in him, that's in him alone are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul knows that these false teachers are trying to add other things to Christ. And to him it's preposterous. To him it's absurd. To him it's a wicked, blasphemous thing to do. It's a big deceit. It's a lie. He's very concerned. So what does he say? And this I say, why am I saying this? Lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now three things very quickly. Think of the reality of these beguilers. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. You see, as far as Paul was concerned, this was a real and present danger affecting these new converts and those who were not so new. This was a big threat to them individually and personally, but it was a big threat to the very existence of the church congregationally in Colossae. And of course, 
what happened in Colossae would impact Laodicea, would impact Ephesus, would impact the other churches in Asia Minor. And as I said last night in the word in Hillsborough, that's why the Apostle Paul set forth Christ in the fullness of his person and work. Now, can you imagine the absurdity and the wicked blasphemy of these false teachers? Because they're adding other things to allegedly make up the deficiency in the person and work of Christ. Paul says it's a lie. It's a folly. There's no deficiency in the person and work of Christ. See, Paul has prevented the superiority and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and his person and work. Could you imagine this illustration? It's noonday. The sun's shining in the strength. You're in the park and you feel its heat. You're enjoying its light. Or maybe you're out for a walk. Or maybe you're shopping. So get that picture. It's noon. The sun is shining in all strength. You're feeling its heat. You're enjoying its light. And you're saying to people, this is a lovely day. And all of a sudden into your bag, you take out a candle and you light it. And you walk about with it. People in Belfast would think you'd gone nuts. They'd be looking at you strangely. And somebody could say, well, excuse me, what are you doing? And you're going to say, but I'm adding a bit of light to the sun. I'm providing extra light because it's needed. See, Paul knew that that's what they were doing. It was an absolute absurd, wicked, blasphemous thing to do. And he knew that this was a deadly danger. And it could lead to ruin and damnation of precious souls. If I change the analogy, think of a wheel. The hub is Christ. And all the spokes, you know, of a wheel go into the hub. And the spokes, will say, represent the various aspects of redemption. Regeneration, adoption, justification, sanctification, identification, so on and so forth. And then you've got the outer rim, and we'll call the rim God's salvation. But the moment you destroy the hub of the wheel, then the spokes and the circumference is affected. And Paul knows there's a danger in Colossae. Spreading out to the other churches and listening to these false teachers. You think of his concern. And this I say. Why have I said this? Lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. He knew what the false teachers were doing. He knew why they were doing it. I want you to think of that word beguile. You see these false teachers. It's not a fully armed frontal assault. We know that the devil can be a roaring lion. We also know that he can pose as an angel of light and as a subtle serpent. That's three of his disguises. And his legions of servants, his minions in hell, they also can pose as agents of light as well. You see, these false teachers, they rose up in the church and they've said, look, you've got light, but we've got greater light. You've got light, but we've got a better light in a number of different areas. You see, these false teachers are not necessarily outward, evil, wicked men. No, they, 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 they come as the servants of righteousness. But, but inwardly, they've been ruled by their own sinful lust. They're really as 
um, the Lord Jesus described them. They're really um, wolves in uh, sheep's clothing. Remember what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and the uh, verse uh, 15? Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raveling wolves. Can you get the picture? The wolf coming in a sheep's clothing. In disguise, mixing with the other sheep. Hello. My name is Sally or whatever. And, and, and they become big mates. But the real intent is to murder. The real intent is to maim. That word beguile means deceived by false reasoning. And the false reasoning was that these false teachers said, we have secret wisdom for you. We have got a deeper knowledge of the great mysteries. Even things that Paul the apostle doesn't know. Come and join us. And all the while the intent is to mislead you. And of course it appeals to the flesh. It fosters and feeds ego and pride. These false teachers would no doubt pretend it to be holier than I. But Paul wants the believers in Colossae to reject these counterfeits. He wants them to examine them closely. Because he knew this. That the Christians in Colossae could be deceived. And you see, we shouldn't be surprised at that. It's possible for us in the Free Presbyterian Church... To be deceived. Being born again. Striving to live the Christian life. Meditating on the word of God. Sitting under a sound ministry of the word. Offering a life of prayer and service. Doesn't necessarily in and of itself. Be a safeguard to spiritual deception. Why do I say this Paul says. Why have I told you this. Here's the chief reason. I presented Christ in his fullness, lest any man beguile you with enticing words. In other words, I want you to take it seriously. See, false teachers are hidden by plausible and persuasive words. And little by little, you, you think of this. How did the church of Rome become such a blasphemous, apostate organization? Little by little. There was the Bishop of Rome. But there was the Bishop of Antioch and a number of other bishops. But eventually the Bishop of Rome became the main man. And then after he got authority, then they began to introduce prayers to Mary. Until eventually Mary became a co-redemptrix and a co-redeemer with Christ. They introduced penance. They introduced purgatory. They introduced the human priesthood. They introduced the sacrifice of the mass, which is in called in theological terms transubstantiation, the offering of Christ by faith. It's little by little. And it took from the third and fourth century right up to Reformation times to, to manifest the full iniquitous thing that had happened to the little infant church that, that was originally there at Rome. Same is true today of the charismatic movement. Think not only of the reality of these beguilers, but think also of the strategy of these beguilers. Turn over there to 2 Corinthians 
chapter 11, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Listen to these words, because I want you to understand there's someone behind the beguilers. Paul says in verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, writing to the Corinthian church, but I fear, lest by any means... As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preaching another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with them. You see, you've got to think of Who's behind these beguilers? And behind every false teacher and every false cult and false religion is one that we'll call Satan who presents himself in all the subtlety of the serpent. And just as the serpent beguiled Eve and did it with words and subtlety, so it's possible that the minds of the people of God be corrupted and moved from the simplicity of the gospel in Christ. That's what these beguilers are at. And they're following the tactic of Satan. Just as Satan is deceptive, so are they. Just as Satan used deceptive words, so does these false teachers. That's their strategy. To use persuasive and deceptive words to mislead you and get you away from Christ. They're attacking the vulnerable. The untaught. The unsuspecting soul. And they're using guile, deceit, and lies. They're behaving very slyly. That's the tactic of the beguiler. And just as the devil not only was a subtle serpent, but also an angel of light, so these false teachers beguile souls with the thought of misleading and deceiving. So they get their eyes of Christ to lead them in a different path, a path that looks right, but at the end of the day, it's not right. Using plausible words, using arguments, using enticing speech, all designed to lead them astray. You see, they've rejected the wisdom of Christ. They have refused to accept that in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And these false teachers serve the devil. And they're using their subtlety and their persuasive arguments to lead others astray. And they are, in reality, enemies of the truth. Just remember the next time you hear a false teacher or think of a false cult, Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons or some false religion in the world, Buddhism, Islam. Just remember that at the back of that is the devil. And the devil is using it and using the false teachers that propagate. He's active in them. He's working in and through them. So let's never think that we could never or wouldn't be deceived. Darkness and deception can't creep in. Once we get our eyes off the uniqueness of the person and work of Christ, once we begin to look elsewhere, once we're not wholly satisfied with Christ, once we get upset or, or mad or down or weak, we become very vulnerable, we become acceptable. Let, let me say this. Do you know that false teachers can appeal to your sinful, rebellious heart? 
See, the old sinful nature. We don't like being told what to do. We don't like to be told what we should believe or the way we should behave. And um, oftentimes we can uh, get upset and annoyed and uh, we feel like rebelling against something and rebelling against authority. That, that's a natural streak within us. Who's the minister to tell me? Who's the elders to tell me? Who's the church to tell me? I, I think, I feel, I know better. You, you think of the issues that we face today, moral issues in the country, abortion. You, you think of this so-called call that's really an amnesty for murderers that's been discussed politically. You, you think of the Arctic and the antics of the LGBT lobby. You think of the government using powers to close down churches for divine worship. And you see, all of these things stir issues within our heart. And, and we have to decide what is right and wrong according to the principles of the word of God. And in that state, when we're stirred and something happening, even in the life and witness of the ordinary church, the false teacher can use it. To draw us away from Christ. Do you know that the false teacher can use your senses? You can have good feelings one day, you can have bad feelings another day. You can be miserable. The false teacher, the devil, will come along and tells you it's not normal to be miserable. Why are you miserable? And they'll appeal to your flesh. And you can be misled. You see, some people come to church and they think, well, if I go to this church and I feel good, then it must be God at work, and that's a good church. But if they come to church and feel bad, feel uncomfortable, feel, I'm not sure about that, I'm not too sure about the music, and there wasn't really a motivational type of preaching there. That man up there, well, he's not like Joel Olstein, and um, therefore I'll not go to that church. See, that's the way the false teachers work. They, they appeal to your senses. Could I add something else? They appeal to your lust and greed. What's in it for you? What do you get out of it? You think of the health and wealth, neighbor and claimant gospel. That's what it's all about. It appeals to your lust. It appeals to your greed. A preacher stands up and says, well, look, if you give me 10,000 pounds this morning, we have a need then God is going to give you 100,000. Now, suppose I tried that tactic here and carried off. Well, I would like somebody to come and tell me, Pastor, you're wrong, you're out of order, and rightly so. You see, to do this, give 10,000 pounds, to get 100,000 pounds, and to say God is going to do that for you, then the truth of Christ is no longer the appeal. Or to say to somebody, you'll never be sick. See, I've heard so many things this week about the word of God being out of date. That truth is no longer appropriate in the 21st century. That the truth has changed over the passing of time. I want to tell you, the word of God is not out of date. And the truth of God hasn't changed with the passing of time. And the truth of God is still appropriate. Why? Because Jesus is the very embodiment of truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. 
And you see these preachers that come along and speak words against the doctrine of the Holy Trinity as revealed in the Bible and against the eternal sonship of Christ and his vicarious atonement and tell us that the word of God is full of errors. And this is not in the original manuscript and that's not in the original manuscript. I want to say away with them because they're only feeding people's lust and people's greed. That's why we have a rash of new versions in the Bible or off the Bible. It's all to do with money. It's all to do with copyright. I, I think of that deluded soul, Steve Chalk. He claimed some years ago that the substitutionary atonement of Christ was and is cosmic child abuse. What other blasphemy from a professing evangelical, all to fit in with liberals and modernists? Why did Jesus die? Yes, he was God's only begotten son, but he became one of us. He had a real true flesh and blood body. He's the second Adam, the real man, a representative man. Steve Chucky forgot that. He ruined his soul. He ruined his relationship with Christ. He ruined his ministry. And here's the question this morning. If false teachers can appeal to our sinful nature on any given issue, and appeal to our senses how we feel and sometimes we feel miserable and bad and they can appeal to that or appeal to lust and greed do this and this will happen then the question is this are we fully satisfied with Christ? I was thinking as I was watching a wee YouTube video about a lion attacking a herd of antelopes do you know which antelope their lion eventually caught? It was one of the baby ones. One at the rear. One who couldn't go as fast as mummy and daddy. One who was vulnerable. And that's exactly what the roaring lion does. In the church. Those that are strong in Christ. Are those that are sick in Christ. And those that are sick in Christ. Need to be taught. They need to be fully satisfied with him. Let me finish this morning. Not only think of the strategy of these beguilers, but think of the remedy from these beguilers. If you look at verse 5, he says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Here's the remedy. You see, these the beguilers are going to rob you of focusing on Christ. Paul knows that. So he wants them to keep focused on Christ. That's why he has presented Christ in his fullness and work. The centrality, the sufficiency, the superiority of Christ. Fill your heart and mind with him. See, you've got to link it up. Verse 3 and 4. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's Christ. He's mentioned Christ in verse 2. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Beware. Be careful about your own selves. What you hear. Who you listen to. The shepherd needs to be careful. The sheep needs to be careful. Filter everything you hear and see and do through Christ. And if you know him and know his word, then you'll be strong. You see, if these beguilers have their way, they can disturb and destroy close fellowship. Look at Paul. Paul says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit. Paul's a thousand miles away. He's in Rome. He's in prison. Many have never seen his face, and yet he knows them. He loves them. 
He sees them. He pictures them in his mind. In other words, I picture myself with you as if I am one among you. I see you across the miles with the eye of faith. I see you in Christ. And in him, remember, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you're in a special saving spiritual union in Christ. And I don't want it to be spoiled by error or deception. There is such a thing as the communion of saints. Remember, these false teachers are designed to draw you away from Christ. So keep focused on him. I think of holidays. I think of the Lord's Day whenever I've been away, especially in far-off places, whether it's been in Tasmania or Cyprus. And you know, on the Lord's Day, I'll tell you where my heart has been. It's really been here. I've been thinking of you. I've pictured you. The organ side, those that sit there, and those that sit in the middle, and those that sit on the schoolhouse side, as I, I call it, as we affectionately call it, can't be here with you physically, but in spirit. And we, we think of those dear people in hospital, in the care homes, in their own homes, those who have joined us online. We're, we're not with them physically, but we're with them in spirit. Remember, deception robs you of focusing in Christ. It wants to rob you of close fellowship in Christ. Remember, deception can rob you of joy. Think of this word, joying and beholding your order. You see, Paul loved the church. Paul knew that the folks in the church were joined to the saving head of the church, which was Christ. And it was a grief to the apostle when things were wrong, when things were not right, when things were not true, if believers were not loving one another. It broke his heart. If things began to fall apart, he just couldn't bear it. He didn't want the false teachers to come in because he knew that it would rob the church of much joy. And how many dear churches have been destroyed because of false teachers? People have come in. They've suggested, let's make in this change. Let's make that change. We could do things differently. So the first thing that has happened, they got rid of the Bible, the authorized version, new Bible, brought out a new hymn book, took out the pulpit, removed the pews, changed the style of music. Um, the preaching was more, um, what could we say, uh, motivational. It's just a talk. There's no solid, sound exposition of the Holy Scriptures. And you know what's been a, left many grief-stricken, many broken, many wept, many broken-hearted. You think of the elderly who stood for the old past and the old truths, and they have felt, we have got, got rid of us. Is that any way to treat the elderly, God's dear people, foundation members who have given a lifetime of service for the work of God? Oh, let's jealously guard what we have. Deception will rob us of joy. You need to remember this. This is one of the remedies. Remember, deception will rob us of our order. Think of this word, and beholding your order. You see, that's a military term. That's about soldiers who are marching in formation. About the soldiers arranging the ranks. Every, place, every soldier had a place. The order's a matter for joy. It's a matter for satisfaction. 
And Paul's thinking about their order in worship. Think of ours. A psalm, a hymn, a prayer, a Bible reading, a, a children's message, a few announcements, prayer, and, and then the singing of a hymn again, and, and then the preaching of the Word of God. And, and we give primacy to the preaching of the Word of God. Could you imagine a soldier, an army with no order? Men lying in the barracks in their beds, smoking, playing cards, watching TV. Headquarters, it's just the same. No battle plan, no operational procedure. There's a, a call to parade and they just all stand about in the corner, whatever way they, they jolly well like. Doing their own thing. What about if they go to battle? And, and what's the front line going to look like? No, our God's a God of order. Paul says, joying and beholding your order. There's a place for each one in the work of God to share Christ by life and lip. And remember this as we close. Deception can rob us of our steadfastness. You see, the word steadfast again is a military term. You've got to think of the army in battle formation taking on the enemy. What do they do? They're presenting a solid front, a united front. And we can only make progress, we can only go on and stand firm if we're disciplined. And if we have obedience, and if there's a, a togetherness. The general doesn't fight the battle alone, and the soldiers don't fight the battle without the general. I think of what I read as I finish in Romans chapter 16. Let's read it there, Romans 16 verses 17 and 18. Paul said this, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. And the only remedy is to keep focused in, church, in, in Christ. Enjoy close fellowship in a satisfying, communing way with the people of God. Allow nothing to rob us of our joy. Remember to preserve and maintain our order. Because God's a God of order. Everything done decently and in order. And remember our own steadfastness. We're united together. Brothers and sisters soldiers in the army of Christ. If I could present this picture, we're in Christ. Are you in Christ this morning? Is he your Lord and Savior? Are you living for Christ? Do you put God first, like Mr. Chandler did in the Coca-Cola story? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. Are, are you living through Christ by his strength and power? whether it's praying, reading, witnessing, living, whatever, it, it, the strength comes from him so that you can go to be with Christ. By using this strategy, using this remedy, we can be kept firm and kept strong from all the attacks of the enemy. The Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for listening. And I pray that the Lord will meet with us and keep us strong.